You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Saturday I was in a bind, so I asked my friend Roger Maxson to come on. <laughs> well, thank you, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm guessing most of you don't know who he is at this point. i tell you a little information here. He earned a bachelor's degree in biblical studies with a focus on pastoral ministry from Crown College of the Bible in Knoxville, Tennessee. And if that's ringing any bells right now... Mainly with Knoxville, Tennessee, that means, yes, we've known each other in person. He is an <laughs> ordained minister and served as an assistant pastor for three years. He's currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Apologetics from Houston Baptist University and is preparing to launch an Apologetics Lifestyle blog. So, uh, Roger, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Thank you, Nick, again. It's very good to be here. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I called you on here is because you have such a fascinating story with apologetics here, and I I think it's really important, especially for parents to hear with raising their children and for people who are going to go off into ministry and for church leaders and such to learn about how important what we do here is. So let's kind of start at the beginning about how your Christian life began. Sure. Well, I was raised uh, primarily in the Deep South, a uh, typical, typical kid down there, I guess. Mm-hmm. I have a, sort of a semi-Christian home. I had a mother who, uh, thankfully, uh, forced me to read the Bible, and I'm very grateful that she did. There are parts of it I didn't understand, parts of it I didn't like, um, but the words of Jesus in particular stuck with me. And so I knew about the Bible. We went to church occasionally. Um, I made a profession of faith in the Lord at a very young age, about the age of eight. Um, but, you know, I always had questions about the Bible. When you're young, you sort of trust that your parents know what they're talking about, and you, you go with it. As I got older, I sort of had these questions in my in my mind, sort of in the back burner. You know, why do we believe in this Jesus guy anyway? Um, why do we know, how do we know that our God is a true God to begin with? Why do we go to church? Um, but for really existential reasons, uh, as a teenager, about the age of 15, I began going to church faithfully. Uh, I wanted a a good, clean life. I wanted to make sure that when I got married and had children, I could be a good husband, a good father. I wanted to do what was right. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of a lot of things that were wrong, and so to avoid the bad things and to try to flee towards good things, I went to church consistently. Um, it wasn't long before. The church that I was going to, you know, was a very passionate, a very, uh, as they say, on fire type of soul-winning church. It wasn't long in that environment as a 15-year-old young man 
that I saw the need to preach the gospel. So I surrendered my life to become a preacher. And from there, it was off to Bible college. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went to Bible college, I mean, <clears throat> you have nothing but respect for the people you went to the Bible college with and who taught you, but you yes. were in a very fundamentalist sort of environment, weren't you? Yes, uh, a very – fundamentalist is a good word, and I, I want to differentiate uh, today's fundamentalism might be a different beast than the fundamentalism of, say, B.B. Warfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something oh, I learned yeah. along, along the way there. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, not, not something I was aware of at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but I think more in the, the passionate, the fervor, the zeal, not according to knowledge, yeah. uh, to win the lost and to live a clean life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had those sort of emotional experiences, you know, when the preacher's preaching on oh, uh, yeah. the second coming or some such thing like that. Mm-hmm. You, you feel the desire to, to do more, to do greater. Mm-hmm. And so you have these emotional experiences. You know, you want to go down to the altar, mm-hmm. and you want to be right with God. Um, but there was really no, and I say this respectfully, uh, there wasn't a lot of substance as to why we believe these things in the first place. You know, when you and talk really, about, I... Mm-hmm. When you talk about having these emotional experiences, I can't but remember when I was growing up, and I'd see kids go off on these youth group things, and because of the way I was with Asperger's at the time and not grown too much and mature enough, I didn't want to go on those overnight trips away from my family. So I'd watch sure. these youth groups go off, and they go to an event like, say, Resurrection, which in the Methodist Church is this big youth revival meeting, and they'd come back, and they'd be so excited, they'd be on fire, they wanted to do so much with Jesus sure. for a week. And right. then it went back to normal. Right. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. And uh, in, in my case, I think because of maybe my home circumstances, it was more of a daily reality for me. So it did sort of stick for a while, for mm-hmm. years, actually. In fact, when I met you, I was, I think, what, a sophomore in Bible college. Yeah. Why, and, don't, uh, we get to, why don't we get mm-hmm. to that point here? How how did we cross paths with the audience? Sure. Well, this is an interesting story. Mm-hmm. I uh, To get through Bible college, I worked at Walmart. So working so like second shift did. at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, some of us did that, right? Uh-huh. So every morning in Bible college, taking classes for who knows how long, studying all night, and then second shift, you know, Walmart. Mm-hmm. So I think I was a sophomore. I was. Uh, was I married when we met? I believe I was married. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you were. Right. <laughs> so that was yeah. End of the yeah. Jenny's gonna have so. a word with you later on. <laughs> <laughs> So we were married, you know, in between the freshman and sophomore year, Jenny and I. So that was probably when we met. But we were uh, second shift. I was in toys when, lo and behold, you came to electronics. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. No, we we talked, and you had this, this funny thing, uh, this funny word and funny ministry and called apologetics, which to me was just silliness at the time. Mm-hmm. I was studying uh, basic Bible doctrine. I was studying applied pastoral ministry. And really what I was studying to do was try to get people into the church building and uh, and give them the gospel. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the approach to ministry I had. Your approach was different, and I, I thought it was needless. Uh, your your approach was to try to explain things to people, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I, I thought they already, they already assumed that it was true. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we, we had interesting areas of discussion as well beyond that. For instance, I would regularly tease you some because like uh, 
I was a big Harry Potter reader and fan at the time, and yep. you were just, oh, that's Gabby Wicked and such. So we had those, <laughs> we had those back and forth going on. And such. We had a lot of back and forth about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, and, but at the same time, we we developed a really good friendship. We'd hang out together yes, and play video games together and go yes, to the bookstores together and things like that. That's right. Those very few moments when I wasn't working or with my wife or in mm -hmm. school, it was probably with you and some of the other guys we worked with there, mm -hmm. hanging out, trying to uh, let her hair down a little bit, have a good time. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we, we became rather close during that time. Yeah. Um, but of course, I moved away to become an assistant pastor in Kentucky. And I moved away, and too. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And you, you went to school, and we didn't keep in contact too well, just the occasional chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing, nothing lengthy or in depth mm -hmm. um, until uh, skip forward a few years. My life had changed dramatically, mm -hmm. and uh, as you know, I was on the brink of walking away from Christianity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I reached out. And I remember this guy named Nick Peters and his funny word called apologetics, mm -hmm. and uh, the things you talked about. So I sent you an email had a list of questions that I had developed over the years that I had no idea what the answers were to. And so I was hoping you could help me. So I think how those things developed, the, those questions I had in my mind from the time my mother had me read scriptures and I had those quiet questions in the back of my mind that were sort of silenced by the emotional fervor and passion of, of preaching and mm -hmm. winning the loss and all these things, trying to live a good life. Um, that were carried through to Bible college, the, the questions that I had inside of me got a little bit louder, mm -hmm. um, and they multiplied. Yeah. Now, the, the type of school that I attended, very well-meaning school, good people, mm -hmm. that I believe they genuinely love the Lord, uh, they sort of had the idea that we don't have to, uh, many of them had the idea that we don't have to have reasons for belief in God. Everyone already knows that he's real. Mm -hmm. We don't have to explain why we believe the Bible. Uh, we simply begin with the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so when someone has questions, we just, well, we just give them the Bible. Why do you believe in God? Because the Bible says so. Mm -hmm. Well, why do you believe the Bible? Because it's God's Word. Mm -hmm. And sort of this circular type thinking that yeah. just had the foundation of being, this is where we want the buck to stop so it doesn't go any farther. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, that works for a long time. It worked for me for a long time until finally I asked the question, uh, why do I believe any of this in, to begin with? Mm -hmm. Once you finally step back from it and ask the question, why do I believe this to begin with? It's sort of like you have this beautiful cathedral built with all these nice furnishings in the pew, but when you ask the question, what's the purpose of this cathedral, it just sort of shatters all around you. And it's important to remember, you were growing up in a very conservative environment. It's not like you were going out regularly interacting with atheists and people like that saying, gosh, I can't get these questions that, I, that I'm getting. I can't get them answered. These were just questions that were <laughs> rising up on your own, right? Yes, for the most part. I, mm -hmm. I had read, um, actually when I was in the ministry, I read The Works of the New Atheists. In Bible college, I hadn't read very much at all. Maybe some of the older guys, but but not many. So many of these were questions that I I came up with on my own, and then sort of resounded with when I finally got my hands on Bart Ehrman or Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins. 
they sort of articulated these questions that I had much better and with much more intellectual rigor, so I thought. Yeah. And they, they sort of took hold on me. And the difficult thing was I had never really asked the question, you know, again, why I believe this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so when someone finally did, and when I did encounter an atheist in my evangelism, I would simply just, you know, quote from John 3.16. Mm-hmm. If they don't believe the Bible or in God to begin with, and that there's nothing I can do for them. I'm guessing you didn't have much success with that method. N- no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when no. I was in Bible college, also I didn't go to a fundamentalist school at all. I mean, we we did study these kinds of things, but sure. the, the apologetics class it was only for like the advanced or honor students and such. And, Mm. I was back there recently talking with one of the professors, and he and I have a good relationship. And he said, "You think we?" He said, "We, you know, we've got the apologetics class. And, you know, it's kind of going the same way. Was do you think we need to change it?" I said, "Absolutely, definitely. That must be changed because in our day and age, this is no longer an option. This is essential." That's right. Yeah, yeah apologetics is not a luxury; it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. And I think the the cultural veil that we've built up in mm-hmm sort of the Christianized, so to speak, West is is being dissolved. Uh, mm-hmm. We sort of have this intellectual framework that we assume, especially in the South, we assume these is in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a study by the Barna Group recently that says nearly 60% of people ages 18 to 29 that grew up in church are going to walk away. Mm-hmm. 60% yeah. of people who grew up that's not, to, that's not to mention the people that never grew up in church. Mm-hmm. And so by the time, and we're already seeing some of the social upheavals that are coming with this, but by yeah. the time you and I are, are old men, mm-hmm. massive social changes. And so, yes, ch- churches can't hide behind that cultural veil any longer. Uh, apologetics is something that's, that's necessary. You know, you might be amused at this. I interviewed someone maybe a month or so, ago, a couple months ago, I think it was, and when he was in Bible college... He heard his roommates at times talking about apologetics, and he thought, yeah, it doesn't strike me as interesting. I don't see why you guys talk about this so much until he had his personal doubts and such, and now he, he loves it so much. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Mike Lacona. Does that ring any bells to you? <laughs> I think I have heard of him, yes. I might have read one of his books or so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're in good company. Now, it's also important to note that you you had joined the Marines in this time, right? Yes, yes. yes. So, yes, which uh, is true I, that again, our military has lowered their standards, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> that might very well be true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking about the breakdown of our society, but there it is right there. <laughs> Case in point. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, I, I think... The reason I joined the Marines was not because I, I doubted Christianity. Um, but if I could say this respectfully to many of my friends, many many of whom I, I'm still friends with, um, sort of the framework that we built up, I think based on sola scriptura, only scripture, scripture alone, mm-hmm. um, scripture as a final authority, may be carried out to a bit of an extreme. Mm-hmm. To where Scripture then becomes the epistemic authority, mm-hmm. and we begin with Scripture, and so really human reason, in in my circles, was often seen as suspect at best, mm-hmm. or an enemy of faith at worst. Mm-hmm. 
we we felt that human beings were so flawed that our reason was was nearly useless, mm. right? And so we had the idea that true faith was believing, sort of in spite of evidence or against reason. We just we just trusted God. We held on to the Bible no matter what anyone else said or did around us. Don't even interact with them. Just quote them John three sixteen. But really, reason or thinking or evidence were seen as I hate to say it, but really not not good things. And no, they won't they won't say that. But that's really the way we thought. And that must and really so what hit, happened? That must really yeah. hit hard. Then when you read someone like Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, who's just a, that's exactly yeah, Christians right. are these stupid people who believe things are evidence and who just say they have faith over and over and now we look at that and you know that's really a straw man in many ways yes. of what's really meant but there are too many yes. Christians that embody that that's exactly that's exactly right I couldn't say that better myself mm-hmm. so when I got my hands on Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins some of those things I, I knew even then mm-hmm. you know this isn't substantial this doesn't hold up but some of those things um, I, I had I had the, the passionate preachers the people who say things with you know, passionate, emotional fervor. Mm-hmm. This is true. Believe it. Preach it. And then when you ask some of them questions, or email them, or talk to them, or try to read their books, there's there's really just no substance there. Yep. And they sort of discourage thinking and reason. And then you get hold of Richard Dawkins, who says, "Follow the evidence wherever it may lead." And these stupid Christians who are anti anti rational and anti thinking and anti reason. Well, that was a bit appealing to me because, unfortunately. When I was honest with myself, I realized I sort of fit the stereotype that he projected. Mm-hmm. And did he present a straw man Christianity? Yes, he did. Yes, Richard Dawkins did. Yes, Christopher Hitchens did. However, I pretty well fit the straw man when mm-hmm. I was honest with myself. So and what so, yes, in this, the this, well, this, this idea of following evidence through to its conclusion, trying to utilize reason to find the truth, mm-hmm. not as an enemy to the truth, but finding truth. Well, I decided when I was in the ministry. And I say this respectfully, but there are great people in the church. They wanted me to stay and, and take the church. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still friends with them. I love them. Um, some of the things that I, I might have thought I believed before, some of the sort of secondary or tertiary doctrines, I realized I didn't believe those particular things just that way anymore. Mm-hmm. So I decided I needed to sort of step back and examine it. But more than that, I needed to really examine and fall through with the evidence and see if these things were rational, the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So I uh, raised my hands and uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps with the idea of really my whole motivation was I'm going to step back, think this through. If I decide that Christianity is in fact true, which I suspected that it was, then I would go back in as a chaplain in, in, the, in the Navy and a minister to Marines after my enlistment. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't true, well, then I had a career and I could back away quietly and politely. Um, now, in the Marines, uh, if you've ever seen a movie or watched a commercial, the uh, the mentality is a little different than in the civilian world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a slight culture shock when you get there. So bottom line, I think what happened is this. Any type of, type of intellectual foundation for Christianity that I thought I had uh, was dissolved. It was mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. based on these the new atheists, right? Because I, I didn't really have a foundation to begin with. Yeah. And I was leaning on this existential emotional fervor in my faith. When you join the Marine Corps, they give you a different emotional fervor. Mm. The sort of emotional passion for winning the lost and and, and doing what's right uh, was sort of 
replaced with a a different type of <laughs> mm-hmm. zeal. Uh, I'll, I'll put it there. Now I do want to say I never got an immorality. Um, I wasn't yeah. trying to run away from God so I could pursue lusts or anything like that. No, I'm not perfect. If you want to examine my life for moral failure, you won't have to look far. Um, but I do want to make clear that I wasn't running from God to, pers- you know, to pursue some immoral relationship or something like that. Yeah, I'm However, certain, this... Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm certain, like, uh, with what you said, that just like me, you could say, my wife would be more than happy to come on sometime and say I'm not perfect, and list all the reasons why. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she would, and she could, she could give you specifics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I joined the Marine Corps, um, yeah, again, my, my world was kind of rocked. I was in a different place. Mm-hmm. And that emotional, existential feeling that I had, I just felt Christianity was true. It just wasn't there anymore. It took mm-hmm. a little time, but it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And all I was left with was what I thought was intellectual arguments. Mm-hmm. And uh, they seemed to be in favor of atheism. Mm-hmm. Now, something interesting about all this is that... A when you emailed me, one of the things I think you'd said really started you down the circle of doubt in many ways was the uh, Johannine comma. Is that yes. right? Uh, yes, it is true. I had such a high view of Scripture. Um, you know, every word of God is pure. Mm-hmm. And I thought that every every little sort of punctuation mark, the way I took it, was exactly the way that God intended it. So when I stepped back from my English translation and I started studying Greek uh, I have a not to get into a, a, a musty academic conversation you know there's different texts if you took the Trinitarian yeah. Bible Society's text First uh, John 5 7 is is there if you look outside of the Trinitarian Bible Society's Texas Receptus and you look at say a Nestle Allen um, that verse isn't there mm-hmm so I asked myself, why isn't this verse in the Greek? Why is it in my English translation, but not in the oldest Greek manuscripts that we have? Um, Roger, for the sake of those listening, who might not have a Bible or might be familiar, could you tell them what the Johannine comma is? Sure, the Johannine comma is essentially in the English Bible, 1 John 5, 7, and it's a concise summary of the doctrine of the Trinity. And it says essentially that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's essentially what it says. Mm-hmm. And so for me, with the way I was taught in Bible college, that was sort of a proof text for the Trinity itself. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I saw that that verse wasn't there, it rocked not only my view of the Trinity and God, but it rocked my view of the Bible itself. Maybe it wasn't as perfect and unchanging as I thought. You know, there are atheists like Frank Zimmer out there who would say that uh, if you remove that verse of Scripture from the Trinity, there was, from the Bible, there was no support for the Trinity whatsoever. Now, in the past, you would have believed that, right? Yes, I did. I certainly did, and some of the new atheists would have confirmed that for me. And I think uh, Bart Ehrman would have sort of put a lot of weight on that verse in, in some instances as well. But really, that's a shallow... Mm-hmm. It's a shallow theology. It's a shallow yeah. view of Christ. The, the mm-hmm. doctrine of the Trinity doesn't depend upon that one yeah. verse. It's uh, who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think Dan Wars, when he was interviewed in the case of real Jesus, when he was told that, pretty much said, 
I'm gonna be as nice as I can, but that's just stupid. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is stupid, and and I didn't know any better, and yeah. I sort of set myself up for some failure there. Yeah. So I I think when I was studying the Greek and and saw that verse wasn't there, uh, my entire view of scripture collapsed, and my view of God was suspect, which is unfortunate. Roger, in light of that, what do you think about what's going on with the so-called inerrancy wars in Christianity today? Oh, boy. Well, I think what I would say, respectfully, is mm-hmm. that inerrancy, if we if we study... Christianity's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been around a lot longer than the 1800s. Yeah. And so if we study... American Christianity from the 1860s to the 1920s, and we sort of use that as our primary source for what Christians should believe, uh, then inerrancy is um, a very, very, very big deal, even the definition of inerrancy. Mm -hmm. I think if we look at Christianity on the broader spectrum, and we look back to older Christian writings, the Apostolic Fathers, uh, through the Middle Ages, Mm -hmm. and and on, um, you'll see that the authority of Scripture is very important. Um, but that the inerrancy of Scripture, I think, largely, uh, well, let me say the doctrine of inerrancy as framed is largely just a cultural mm-hmm. understanding of it. And so you have people who are fighting over, as you know, uh, oh, yeah. definitions of inerrancy and how it's applied. And we're sort of hurting ourselves, mm-hmm. attacking each other over just various definitions of a doctrine. One of my great concerns with this, though, is hearing your story, because if we make inerrancy the essential of a pure of a foundation, what happened to you could happen to so many other people, couldn't it? Yes, and unfortunately, Nick, I think it is happening to other people. Yep. Um, inerrancy, in my circles, was sort of a cardinal doctrine. I even had a Bible professor um, who thought that Inerrancy should be one of the fundamentals of the faith. Mm-hmm. And he taught that in class. Yeah, it was taken that seriously. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what inerrancy is, it's a it's a logical deduction from the words of Jesus. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, and if he sort of alluded to the scriptures as being inerrant, then the scriptures are inerrant. Mm-hmm. And you could sort of deduce this in various ways. But how far do you want to deduce that, and how do you, how do you want to filter that into your your culture, your idea of scripture? The problem comes when you think that your interpretation, yes, your your culture's interpretation or your personal interpretation of scripture is mm-hmm. is factually inerrant. Yeah, and um, but there's just there's better ways of looking at it. I think that's part of the things we had in our regular email exchanges because one of the things that you would bring to me sometimes that would be an <clears> issue. I'd say. Roger, you've got a lot of cultural background from our culture. You're assuming and applying onto the biblical text, and it just doesn't work. Yes. Well, we we live in a a, a modern a modern world. We have mm-hmm. emails and texts and newspapers and books and mm-hmm. bookstores and all these things. Well, the Bible's written in a time when none of those things existed. Mm-hmm. So literature was a bit different back then. So when we're reading the Bible, as you help me understand it's good to keep your culture in mind Mm. we're reading the bible from our culture it was written in a different culture right and so inerrancy might be sort of an issue that our culture is dealing with that the original authors and audience may not have had in mind 
and it's important to know why we should have answers to these questions because I mean when you sent me something about the Johannian comma you're looking at this and you're seeing a crisis of faith I like and I think yeah I've I've known about this for years right. why, why, why are you missing it and unfortunately the thing is a lot of people in the churches they don't realize that they grow up and their their pastors never talk to them say about oh uh, textual variations or anything like that and so if you if they hear someone say you know the long ending of mark it's not original to the text they don't know what to do when most any christian scholar would look at that and say yes and right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's sort of an academic discussion so i i think for for me i'll say it this way yeah. for me when i found out that there might be an addition to the bible I sort of assumed the Bible must be false. Right. If I thought that there might be one error, even a factual error, or for me, I was rather extreme, even one sort of textual variant that had any weight at all, besides yep. a comma, yep. I thought the Bible itself might be false. And for some reason, I extrapolated that onto God and yep. thought maybe the Christian God didn't exist. Yep. Now, when you were an associate pastor, did you have people coming up to you with questions like this any? Sure, um, but I, th I think that the environment that is created in mm -hmm. some of our churches is sort of an environment of just believe and mm -hmm. then do some work. Right. Uh, <laughs> go out and get more people in the church and, and work and don't worry about these types of things. We just have faith. Yeah. And so when, when people would come to me, they, they didn't have as detailed questions as, as I've had, mm -hmm. but some people have had questions, and I, I hate to say it, but I didn't have good answers for them. Right. And so for me, it was sort of a, a misunderstanding of what faith was, mm -hmm. and that misunderstanding of what faith was and is, is what I presented to them. Mm -hmm. So instead of having a an option of just kind of logically separating the fact that you know the Johannine the Johannine comma might not be a big deal <laughs> mm -hmm. it may not mean that God doesn't exist you know I, I just sort of avoided the issue and, and, and it strikes me also with what you said at the start about being a good person and wanting to flee immorality <clears throat> and live a good life because that can also be another trap in itself because so many of us think the goal of Christianity is just be a good person and don't offend anyone and things of that sort and when we do that too often our churches they don't become something about teaching us about who God is and who Jesus is they just become therapy sessions yes yes therapy sessions and I think also a mm -hmm. sort of a competition of morality yeah um, for, for, for many of us Christianity is sort of a list Mm -hmm. of things you can do and a list of things you can't do. Mm -hmm. And I compare my list to you and how I'm checking off my list compared to how you check off your list, and I must uh -huh. be closer to God because I have more checks in my box than, than you do. Like, for instance, or when, sure, we were, I, I did, when we were at Walmart together, you could say, well, he, uh, he reads that pagan Harry Potter, so I'm doing much better than he is. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right, I'm, I'm closer to God because I have the Spirit pulling me away from from a satanic book mm -hmm. <laughs> called Harry Potter and, mm -hmm. and you must not be as close to the spirit because he didn't tell you to, to avoid that yeah and it, yeah, it was sort of a, a list of do's and don'ts so more than a therapy session I think it becomes more of a, a Pharisee session yeah of uh, I'm keeping the list better than you and of course we have to be clear that same danger can still affect us in the apologetics world we can say 
I'm sure. more intellectual than you are, so I'm a better Christian than you are. Sure. I, I think for me, I, I realize the importance of stepping back and, and studying and thinking through these things. Yep. And when I see many people, whether they're Christians or not, who don't see the importance of stepping mm-hmm. back and, and thinking through these things thoroughly, yep. uh, it's not that I put myself above them, but I, I could tend to be hard on them. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is important. You need to read this. Like, if I meet an American who hasn't read the Constitution, um, mm-hmm. I would tend to be hard on that person. And not to put myself above them, but say, this is this is important enough for you to take some time and think through. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing is true with, with Christians. I can be a bit hard on them, which is something that, because of God's grace for me, I've, I've learned to be graceful to other people. And it, it, it amazes me so much that... Uh, People don't want to do this kind of thing as well. And when we go to our churches, we we have these great worship songs and such going on many times. And I just want to say, you know, if you provide some intellectual content to that, it's not going to damage things at all. I mean, I I compare to imagine being in a relationship with your wife and saying, oh, I have these uh, great emotional experiences and sensations with her and such, but I don't really need to know anything about her. That's not going to help my relationship <laughs> at all. And you, right. you look at me and say, that's absolutely crazy to think something like that, and yet we do that with God. We act like all we need to do is just experience God, but we don't need to know who this God is that we're experiencing. Yes. I see, I, I think the emotional expression of worship or service or evangelism mm-hmm. um, really represents an underlying reality, mm-hmm. a, a deep, a set way of viewing the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity has a rich intellectual history mm-hmm. of, of great thinkers. <laughs> yeah. Some of the world's greatest minds have been Christians, mm-hmm. something I wasn't aware of. But if you, if you, if you understand that Christianity provides this intellectual framework for understanding the world and that there are good reasons to believe God exists mm-hmm. and that he exists in this way, the emotional expression of my worship is sort of uh, a secondary thing based mm-hmm. on that underlying reality. Yeah. The emotional expression is not the, the primary thing. Yeah. And, in fact, when it happens, it's greatly augmented. I mean, when we're at our church, for instance, yes. or at any church service, I mean, I'm not a musically-oriented guy, so I don't get into things like that. I tell people, if we sing holy, 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 for instance, mm-hmm. I have to sit down at that point because I do mm-hmm. have the, the intellectual knowledge there. I know what's going on in that song. I mean, hear yeah. things like God in three persons, blessed trinity, mm-hmm. and knowing about how important the holiness of God is. I have to sit down because at that point, I'm just too much in awe that, yeah, I'm not worthy to be standing here right now. Yes. I think God is bigger than we give him credit for. Yep. He's, um, St. Thomas Aquinas, as you know, you know better than I do, he wrote millions of words about God. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of his, he had a great, and I think correct knowledge of God. At the end of his life, he sat down and said, everything I've written is like straw. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the more you, you think about God and sort of reason through the scriptures, and think about reasons for why we believe God is this way, the bigger you realize that he is, and how the, the smaller you realize that you are. Yeah. And so, yes, I would definitely say that thinking through theology and apologetics definitely changes your worship, yes. Well, let's look at what you were going through when you emailed me, because you emailed me several questions, and sure, honestly, sure. I don't remember all of them, 
but I do remember sure. some of them were things like <coughs> slavery and miracles, sure, yeah. and you might have even had something in there about <laughs> pagan copycats and such. I don't remember. Oh, I'm sure I did. Yeah. I'm sure I did. So, I mean, let, let's describe. How, how was the process of going through this on your end with uh, having someone okay, there sure. to answer questions? Well, essentially, as, as I said, uh, I had, prior to, to emailing you years ago, started with the foundation of the Bible is true. I just assumed that, and God exists in this way, and I, I assume that. And really, any kind of evidence that might contradict my view is, well, I'm just going to cram it into my view or ignore it. Uh, any kind of reasoning outside of this that might show my view is false, uh, I'm just going to reject it. Mm-hmm. So really, I just sort of assumed that I was right, and if we assume we're right... Uh, then we can never be wrong. Right. It's when I stepped outside of my box and examined it and said, well, maybe these guys are right. Maybe this Chris Hitchens guy, he seems like a smart fellow. This Richard Dawkins guy, he seems like a smart fellow. Maybe they're right. Maybe Bart Ehrman is right. So let's let's hear what they have to say with an, mm-hmm. with an open mind. Right? And so what they would take me through is what I thought was the academic perspective on the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can't know anything about what it says. Maybe... You know, there are what some approximately 400,000 variants mm-hmm. uh, in the New Testament manuscripts. Well, there's only, what, some 130,000 words. Well, Bart Ehrman told me that there are almost four times as many variants in the New Testament as there are words in the New Testament. So how on earth do we know what it means or says? Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these things I started, started thinking about. Um, I, I did reach out to, to some people, unfortunately, only to be sort of told just to believe harder. Or don't ask questions, or serving God should be simple. Yeah, that that happened a few times. Uh, there were some people who were very kind and simply, you know, they understandably didn't know. Um, but for you, I thought I'd, I thought I'd give you a shot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we we so, have to say at this point also that I don't have anything against people reading the New Atheist or Bart Ehrman. Such, in fact, I'd encourage them to do so. Don't dismiss these people. But right. be prepared to read both sides. Well, I, I will say this. I think this is a good time to say it. Uh, the only once you really study uh, the history of ideas in the world, and you really study the New Testament and the manuscript evidence behind it, and the historical evidence for the person and resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. and you really have these things in mind, and you read Saint Thomas Aquinas, and you try to understand what he was saying in his five ways, the new atheism, by comparison, is extremely shallow. Mm-hmm. Right, extremely yeah. shallow, intellectually just shallow, and sometimes just absurd. It's a However, fundamentalism someone, in its own right. It is an atheist fundamentalism, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the reason it was drawing to me. I thought it was sort of an intellectual <laughs> mm-hmm. fundamentalism, but the only reason something so shallow as a new atheism challenged my Christian faith was because my Christian faith itself was shallow. Ouch. And that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And so when I had all these questions in mind, I, I, I think I had in mind the idea that academia, this unified monolith, was against Christianity because of evidence and reason. Mm-hmm. And Christianity was this poor thing just holding on by sort of blind faith. Mm-hmm. And smart people, <laughs> or atheists, and oh, yeah. dumb people settled with Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that's... I thought maybe I was just one of those dumb people settling in with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was seeking the truth, uh, I thought maybe the evidence and reason side had, had a point. 
course, that's not the way the framework is at all. That's just how I took it. Yeah. So re- reaching out to you, um, I think that was I had that list typed up for months. I don't think um, I think you might have been the first person I actually emailed that exact list to. Mm-hmm. I, I've asked those questions before. Um, but you handled it well. What, what you did was not – you didn't mock me for one thing. Nope. You didn't tell me just to believe harder for another thing. Nope. But you didn't just uh, – I think I emailed you some ten questions. You didn't give me a sentence answer for each question and call it good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What you did was not try to get an instant sort of convert. You You said let's back off and let's just walk through this, think about it, let's calm down, mm-hmm. take some time and think about it together. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's really important because I think a lot of times we have what I prefer to call Mission Impossible Christianity, where we have this idea of they're all lost throughout there. We have to go and we have to get them into the kingdom right now at this very moment. And yep. I was saying, you have to take your time with these people. It wasn't that I was, you were going to send me an answer and I was going to email you back and you were, and you would reply back saying, Hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. Thank you for answering my questions. I'm off to ministry again. <laughs> Right, uh, sort of Polaroid conversions, and I, I think that's what I was used to doing. You you, yeah. you approach someone on the street, you give them a gospel brochure, and you sort of pressure them to make a decision for Christ yeah. right there. And usually they make uh, a decision just to shut you up. That that happens often, yes. <laughs> yeah. But if someone isn't sure that what you're saying is right, if they're not sure that the Bible is is true, or that God exists, or that Jesus even existed, then... Quoting them John 3.16 or looking for an instant conversion is, isn't helpful, isn't meaningful. Yeah, if, if they think the Bible is bogus, it means even less of them in the newspaper. Yeah, and I, I think if you're going to ask a deep, that's true, and if I think you're going to ask a deep question, um, you can't expect a simplistic answer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for an answer that was going to instantly satisfy me in one paragraph, mm-hmm. uh, that's just unrealistic. And I think, unfortunately, that's the way men like Christopher Hitchens looked at it. Yeah, and Richard Dawkins, they sort of want a very simplistic, um, outlined answer for their questions. And some of my answers, I think, <clears throat> might have been even what you weren't expecting from a Christian. In many cases, like if it was a question on science, for instance, and the theory of evolution, I would said, okay, let's uh, go with the theory of evolution. Let's assume it's true for the sake of argument. So what? What follows from that? And right. <clears throat> Most Christians aren't even allowed to entertain the idea that they could be wrong on secondary issues. Well, we, we equivocate secondary issues with primary issues. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're taught to do, and we've really built up this culture where things that... Some doctrines, you have some wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we think we don't have wiggle room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Secondary or tertiary... Yeah things become primary things. Mm-hmm. And I think people in our culture have sort of <laughs> begun also to equivocate evolution as a mechanism by which we've all gotten here with Darwinism as a worldview. Yeah. Those things can and probably should be separated. Mm-hmm. Now, so for a Christian who believes... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You go ahead first. Well, well, for a Christian who believes that any type of evolution really somehow negates the existence of God himself or if evolution happened in any way or if the earth is older than so many thousands of years that the Bible is false therefore not inerrant therefore Jesus is wrong therefore God doesn't exist um, there's there's better ways of looking at it mm-hmm. 
but I had those things all tied together. Mm-hmm. It's been said that if there's two doctrines that are causing people to walk away from Christianity right now because they're taught from it's inerrancy and young earth creationism. And I mm. say that as even one who holds to inerrancy, I think it's true, but it should definitely not be made an essential or foundational doctrine. No, no, it shouldn't be. And I, I think, again, we've built up this culture where we've tied Christianity to politics, mm-hmm. to economic theories, mm-hmm. to our views of science, uh, to secondary doctrines. To Western we've individualism. Tied to Western individualism. Yep. Uh, you know, patriotism. Yep. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have economic theories or good eschatology or individualism or patriotism. Yeah. But I think we've tied the words and teachings of Jesus himself mm. to our particular cultural circumstance. Yeah. Uh, so once you see a hole in any of the thing, you think the whole ship sinks. <laughs> and that's, in fact, also what I see in many atheists who have yes. this idea of, why should I have to study the Bible? I mean, if this is the message of God, shouldn't it be clear to us today? Yes. And it, it, it's a laziness, but it would have been one that you probably would have agreed with at the time. Yes, I, we have a tendency to think, many of us, very simplistically. Mm-hmm. Um, we want yes, no, absolute, black, white. Mm-hmm. Um, when really some things take a little bit more thought. You have to sort of step back yeah. um, and, and just sort of see the big picture. Ideas don't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you want to understand I, one idea, you, you might want to step back and examine the ideas that surround it. Yeah. Now, when you got this first reply back... For me, can you tell me yes. like, what was it like at that point? I mean, was it like this mm-hmm. is some light showing up here, or was it resistance, or what? Well, as you said, I I didn't expect some of your answers. As for example, um, if evolution is true, um, Genesis is wrong. Therefore, Jesus is wrong. Therefore, because we we tie Jesus to Genesis, and then God doesn't exist. Uh, well, your your take on it was sort of cool bro uh, let's assume evolution is true what do you, what do you want to do about Jesus <laughs> so, that was not something I expected <laughs> um, it was interesting mm-hmm. um, I, I wasn't sure if you were dodging the question or, or what um, mm-hmm. but over time I began to see what you were saying Yeah. So, some of it I didn't like uh, I think as I was still thinking rather simplistically about things your, your answers about um, what I took to be genocide in the Old Testament were not satisfying. Yeah. Um, but we talked. We went on from there. You didn't shut me off, and I didn't shut you off. Yeah. And I, I think when you say the answers on genocide weren't satisfying, or what's called genocide, my thing is it's yeah. not because the argument is insufficient many times, but because we've got the emotional mindset when we approach the text and we close ourselves off from any answer because we feel so strongly about it. Right, and I think because of my background, I had a difficult time at first separating the two. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, logic and, and thinking through syllogisms and, and trying to be rational about things wasn't a strong suit mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. Rather, feeling and emotional and um, that type of thing, just feeling, those things were a strong suit. So sure, when I read a text like that I, f- I felt very strongly about it and uh, sometimes things just aren't that simple for uh, anyone interested by the way in the genocide question because we're really not going to be discussing it 
today, but I did interview Matthew Flanagan back on May 16th <clears throat> on his book, Did God Really Command Genocide? And then back on July 19th of 2014, I interviewed Paul Capone on Is God a Moral Monster? But Excellent book. Yeah. Roger, what you were saying here, Tom, I think you kind of hit the nail on a problem that we have in our churches today, that we're not teaching our our young people or anyone in the church, for that matter, how to think. We're teaching them how to feel. And those feelings will definitely lead them astray. Yes. And one <clears throat> clear example of using not just of intellectual thinking and such, and you you and I both know about this as being people who are married, meaning we've dated before, and when we're dating our wives at the time, we have some very, very, very strong feelings on things we would like to do <laughs> very, very much, and we know we can't do them. Now, in my case, I don't know what it was for you, but for me, it was like, I have this whole intellectual worldview built around the purpose of sexuality in a marital relationship and what it means, but I think for too many people, it's just, oh, I have a few verses of Paul, and... I hate to say that if you're in a moment of passion, a few verses in Paul are really not going to convince you. That is probably true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes passions override the uh, shabby intellect. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, and we're we're not teaching them how to think, Finn, and they don't <laughs> know how to handle these issues. And uh, you you probably know one of the things I've said consistently on my blog is. Sorry, but we're not going to win over our younger generation by throwing pizza parties and taking them to concerts consistently. Oh, no. And, I mean, oh, it's no. fine to have those every now and then, but you can't make a steady dive them because you went to a Bible college, but most people in the church, are going to, they're going to go to a secular college, and they're going to hear professors teaching the things that you atheists teach, and they're going to have to be able to answer the questions right in the class. Well, I think that's the difference between culture today and culture, say, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's, it's changing rapidly. The Internet changed it. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a marketplace of ideas, and mm-hmm. it's fast food. Mm-hmm. Everything's readily available for cheap, yeah. uh, and not, not in a substantial form, not, not the real version, but the watered-down, processed, easily-to-swallow version. Yeah, yeah. So people are exposed to all of these, these different worldviews mm-hmm. very readily, yes. We have soundbite thinking going on yes, today. Yes. I mean, one of the best Meme thinking. Memes, indeed, is about to say that. I mean, I love using memes, but <clears> if <throat> memes are your argument, you have a problem. <laughs> right. And there are right. so many people that put up memes as if they're great, powerful arguments. Or just Profound thoughts, yes. Yes. And that's not just Christians. That's not limited to, to us. That's, oh, yeah. uh, that's everyone. Yeah. Now, uh, but, yeah, I, I think you brought up a great point as far as the, the church can't just be a place of, of entertainment. Mm-hmm. It can't be a, be a social club. And and really, it can't just be a place f- for coming to worship the Lord. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we, ha- when we have people here at, at, in our buildings to, to, to fellowship and worship the Lord for how many hours a week, yeah. several hours a week, we have to take advantage of that time to give people the substance that they need for the week. When you spoke about we can't just entertain, and I was in New Orleans earlier this year, and I spoke <clears throat> on dealing with atheism on the Internet and such and mythicism, <clears throat> I put up a list 
I went to the board and I put a line straight down the middle and said, okay, what church on the left, what college on the right, what entertainment mm. is <coughs> the church offering young people? And I put a long list there of things that we do for fun in the church. And, of course, I'm not condemning all fun in the church. There's a place for entertainment and such. And I said, sure. let's uh, <coughs> now go to the list. <coughs> all right. Now, on the left, we had, oh, <coughs> pizza parties, laser tag, concerts, bowling, things of that sort. Mm. On the right, we had sex, drugs, partying, dancing. Pizza parties, laser tag, bowling. Yeah, you could have some of the same things. I said, okay, you put these two side by side. Which list do you think is going to win? <laughs> True. <clears throat> now, Very good point. Yeah. Now, when you and I have this email <clears throat> exchange, it's important to say this went on for months, and sometimes it involved phone calls too, didn't it? Yes. Right, again, you, you weren't looking for an instant uh, an instant answer, yep. easy fix, fast food, mm-hmm. uh, convert. You you took time, mm-hmm. months. I harassed yeah. you for months. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I can say on my end, and I don't mean any offenses, but on my end, when you're answering questions like that, it can be exhausting at I'm times. Sure. It, it can be, because you think, what can I say to possibly get through to this person's head? What is going <laughs> on here? What can I do? Well, I, <clears throat> Right, and I think something that that some of us have had a problem with is we sort of argue symptoms. Mm-hmm. We'll take you know uh, the consequences and argue about what we think is logical um, conclusions, but really we need to back up and check the premise. Yeah, check those mm-hmm. foundational things. And if I'm if I'm not on the same foundational basis as you, mm-hmm. those symptoms or those conclusions just aren't going to make any sense. So for, for some of those things, well, let's take First John 5, 7, for example. I had tied that into my foundational worldview that everything must line up a certain way, right? Right. So <laughs> when I realized that this verse might be, might be suspect in certain ways, uh, when you told me that it didn't matter, I took that as a cop-out. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Until you backed up even further... And had to take the time, and it took time. It wasn't a quick paragraph mm-hmm. to explain to me how the Bible works, how how textual criticism works. Right. <laughs> and that takes time. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> People, you can't give a two-minute answer. And no. <clears throat> something else I made you do also, where I didn't make you do it, but you had to choose to do it, was I made you do your homework, where I said, here are some books by some leading scholars on this topic. Go read them. And that is what was extremely helpful. I had no resources, Nick. Yeah. None. Mm-hmm. What I had, and I say this respectfully, were Bible stories and Sunday school curriculum, mm-hmm. probably at an eighth grade level. Mm-hmm. And so when I had deep questions <clears throat> about why I believe this to begin with, mm-hmm. or what about the textual criticism, or what about historical evidence for Jesus existing of the genocide in the Old Testament, Bible stories or Jonah got swallowed by a whale really weren't helpful to me, and I had zero places to turn. No, I had already read prior to talking to you, books by Bertson Russell, uh, The Case Against Christianity by Michael Martin, obviously yeah. Richard Dawkins, all of these folks. But as far as having an intellectually uh, sound, um, credible, <clears throat> Christian alternative perspective on these things, I had very little to nothing. And, and no, so, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say, your, your recommendation of resources, or just tell me where to go, 
look, there there are intellectuals who thought this thing through thoroughly, look at the same evidence, and have different conclusions from a Christian point of view. Mm-hmm. When you recommended guys like Gary Habermas to me, or Mike Lacona, mm-hmm. or anybody like this, even William Lane Craig, um, those things were new to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it strikes me as a, such a shame when you grew up in the church that everyone knows you people are like Joel Osteen or Joyce Meyer or T.D. Jakes or any of these other right. people are. But if right. you tell them N.T. Wright, Mike Lacona, William Lane Craig, who? Who? Right, right. And That needs to change. Yes, if we can reverse those two, we're going to start seeing our revolution in Christianity. It would be different, yes. Yep. And so, what what you do, what what you did, and, and still do, what was helpful to me is, is you would recommend, um, you know, here's a book by Mike Lacona and Gary Habermas on the resurrection. Why don't, why don't you read it and then come back and talk to me? Yeah. Pri- prior to that, actually, one of the bigger questions: Does God even exist in the way that Christians claim that He does? Well, I had read some of St. Thomas Aquinas in college. I took his uh, argument about the prime mover to be a, a primitive view of locomotion. I just completely misunderstood him. <laughs> right. And you said, hey, let's go through, read read these, the five ways of St. Thomas again, and then read this book by Ed Fesser mm-hmm. and, uh, on Aquinas. <laughs> read that and then come talk to me. Yeah. And so that you was did helpful. your part. I was curious. Yes. And, you know, it... What would you say also to some Christians out there who might be saying, you know, I'm just really kind of scared to read academic stuff like that. I mean, that's just going to be so over my head and things like that. What would you say to them? Sure. Well, I I can say this, and this isn't advice for anyone else, but if I stuck with popular apologetics, Mm -hmm. I probably would still be very skeptical. Mm -hmm. Um, We have have, – the real world isn't just as simple as we like for it to be. Yeah, and so sometimes it really takes us stepping back, doing our homework, and wrapping our mind around big ideas yeah. to understand the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, popular apologetics are great, but what they have to do is sort of process things uh, to, for to be easy to understand. So if, if I want to talk to my daughter, she's seven, mm-hmm. about math, I can't start with algebra two. Right. I can't start with trigonometry. I have to start somewhere, and I start mm-hmm. with where she's at. Right. Right, and then I bring her along. Mm-hmm. So if, if I think for anyone who's curious, whether you're a skeptic, an atheist, a Christian, uh, or anyone else, if you are curious about these things, start somewhere. Mm-hmm. But always turn the TV off from time to time. Yeah. Turn off the Xbox. Get off of Facebook just a little bit. Yeah. And uh, take, a, take little steps towards trying to figure these things out. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you start with popular apologetics or popular theology or a popular atheist or wherever you're at, um, take a take a step towards a slightly more academic work. It mm-hmm. might not come naturally to you. I can tell you this: mm-hmm. it took me days of nothing but thinking about one of the ways of Saint Thomas Aquinas to finally wrap my mind around it. Yeah, I didn't get it instantly. Mm-hmm. I it took me days yeah. just to figure out what the man was saying. Yeah, and, but I got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's because Aquinas spoke in a different language, a different culture, and when he wrote his Summa, he assumed you had a working knowledge of Aristotelianism. Yes. And if you don't have that, you're going to look at this and think, 
threat doesn't sound like too good of an argument. And no, when, we meet many, yeah, when we meet many atheists who argue against the five ways, they don't understand the argument at that level, and they just make a straw man of it. I'm like, <clears throat> you really don't know what you're talking about, do you? You know, that's, that's a good point. I, a friend of mine is a, a fan of the um, Amazing Atheist on YouTube. Oh, gosh. He's a po- popular internet atheist. Uh, I've never been a fan. Um, he read The Five Ways of St. Thomas Aquinas, the internet athe- the Amazing Atheist did. Oh, gosh. And tried to, I don't know if you've seen the video, he uh, destroyed St. Thomas Aquinas. And I, I watched his video, and this was after... Um, I had worked through the five ways for myself with your help. Mm-hmm. I felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. He just did not understand what Thomas Aquinas was saying. He just didn't get it. And so he read and formed this sort of straw man, and then he thought he just demolished this and mocked this so-called great thinker. But the, the pity was he he just didn't know what he was reading. Yeah. Well, I'd like to remind everyone that right now you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest is Roger Maxson. We're talking about the importance of apologetics today. But if you're listening next week, and I hope you are, I'm going to have my friend Michael Sherrard coming on. And he's going to be talking about his book, Relational Apologetics. So it's another interesting, quick mm-hmm. little book that you can read. But he's going to be our guest next week. For now, let's get back to Roger. And Roger, you were saying you don't know if I've seen the videos. I just did a quick search here. Starting January 20th, 2011, you'll find on my blog The Amazing Atheist from Aquinas for First Way, and then going on Second, Third, Fourth, and Fifth <laughs> Way. All week long, I was responding wow. to this, and, and saying, I, I, I just cannot believe how <laughs> dumb this is. It, it had to be one of the worst approaches to handling the five ways of Aquinas that I have ever seen. And the sad thing is, so many atheists are going to be watching. I say, yep, uh-huh, you tell them. Got him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's some, some bit of uh, sort of Western arrogance here. <laughs> we have this post-enlightenment. Uh, we've finally figured everything out. Everyone from the Middle Ages and antiquity were rather stupid. Yeah. Uh, when, re- when really we just misunderstand what they said very often. You know, one example that I like to point out is when we talk about miracles in the Bible and people say that, uh, well, mm. well, we know dead people don't come back to life. We know virgins don't give birth, etc., etc. And I'm listening to something. They knew that, too. Yeah, it's kind of the point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and miracles was, sort of was one of the, yeah. miracles was one of the questions you were really concerned about, too. It was, and uh, as you know, I was studying Richard Dawkins, or reading Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, these, these fellows, Daniel Dennett. Um, oh, I think I read Daniel Dennett later on, but uh, the the views that they presented were sort of uh, the Enlightenment. The the world mm-hmm. is very rational, and it's sort of like a, a clock. It just works a certain way, and miracles don't fit into our understanding of this machine. Uh, miracles would break the machine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely talked about that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was very helpful to me was, um, well, I read uh, John Earman, I believe that's how you say his name. He's not a Christian. Right. Um, but he wrote, he wrote a Hume's Abject Failure. Oh, yeah. And if you're not familiar with David Hume, um, anyone who's listening, definitely, definitely read him. Uh, his, David Hume's essay on miracles sort of, sort of rocked me a little bit until you and I talked about it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but a good place to start would be Hume's abject failure. Now it's it's a little bit tough. Oh yeah. He gets into some gets gets into some higher math there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if you don't get the math, you can sort of follow along with his ideas. Yeah. And if you're part of a Christian apologetics lines, just ask, ask Tim McGrew about the math part, and he he's the guy to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. That's what he sort of does for a living, isn't it? Yeah. Epistemologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now. We're going to move forward a little bit then to kind of have this ended some because I still remember the day very well. I got up one morning. I went to check on my computer. I had an email from you, and, you know, I was preparing myself here because I saw a subject line, Jesus of Nazareth. I was like, okay, brace yourself, brace yourself, get ready for whatever's coming. Here comes another long, exhausting day of answering emails. Instead, I open the email, and I see this sentence. He really did walk out of that grave, didn't he? <laughs> I remember the day, too. Uh, oh, yeah. That was a, an exhausting few days for myself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been pouring through anything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, after David Hume and this, I, the ideas that miracles can't happen, uh, long story short, I had come to realize that if you take God out of the equation, then, of course, miracles cannot happen. Yeah. But if God exists in the way that Christians say he does, mm-hmm. then you cannot deny the possibility of miracles. So let's just look at the evidence to see if miracles have occurred. Right. Let's follow historical methods. Let's do what the Enlightenment mm-hmm. scientists and historians tell us to do and just look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. And so once I did that with an open mind, not with a prejudice, Hume had this bias that, that miracles could not happen, no matter what the evidence said. He sort of defined them. In his definition, he ruled them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have at least an open mind to the possibility of, of there being miracles if God exists. Look at the evidence, and that's what I did for weeks, mm-hmm. R- really a very long time, with with the resurrection of Jesus. Um, some of the books he recommended to me, and I would recommend, are a book by Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona they wrote together. Um, William Lane Craig writes some good stuff on the resurrection. But I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that, probably the two most helpful books for me, and they're a bit uh, they're not they're not popular level. Let's say they're a little bit more rigorous. But N.T. Wright wrote the Resurrection of the Son of God. Oh yeah, that book was exhaustive and exhausting. Mm. <laughs> and he goes through. He begins with uh, the cultural understandings of death, the afterlife, of of the Greeks, of the ancients going through first century Palestine, and helped me to understand what the biblical understanding of of death was mm-hmm. uh, the resurrection was a new thing for them mm-hmm. and that that book was tremendously helpful any objection I had to the resurrection N.T. Wright fairly well dealt with it and dissolved it for me mm-hmm. uh, another thing that was very helpful was I somehow found Gary Habermas's original doctoral dissertation on the resurrection mm-hmm. I found it online and so I read through it probably probably three times or so wow Minimal facts, uh, minimal facts approach. Uh, mm-hmm. n- not to get boring, but I would highly recommend both of those things. Now, what was it like for your wife Jenny doing all of this? Uh, it was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My wife is a very loving person, mm-hmm. and she she's, has to be. she's she stuck up by with me. You. She, uh, no joke. <laughs> very, very supportive. Um, it, we we were both in the same the same sort of cultural mindset 
mm-hmm. that we just assume this is true and we try to help other people and live a moral life and just assume that it's true. So mm-hmm. when I started questioning it, it was not just hard for me, it was hard for her. Yeah. Now, you're very fortunate that you had someone like me who could come alongside you and help you. And it didn't yeah. have to be me. It could have been anyone who was willing to take the time sure. and answer the question. <clears throat> but where do you think you'd be today if you hadn't have had someone like that out there? At best, I would be an Internet atheist mm-hmm. making YouTube videos and blogging about the stupid Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that I have a nice side to me, believe it or not, so I would try to be nice about it. But it I is hard to believe. A, yeah. <laughs> I would certainly have a skeptical, almost mm-hmm. arrogant attitude towards Christianity. Yeah, I, I do have to explain folks that don't know it. I mean, the, the hard times Roger and I give here together, it is something we've grown used to together because we've formed that good friendship together. That's right. All those times I beat you at Super Smash Brothers in video oh, games. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, and keep in mind, my, my wife still thinks you look like Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Well, Beca- go ahead. Go. Because someone was there, though, you were prevented from apostatizing your faith. And if you had become an apostate, you would have liked to create other apostates as well. Well, that's right. And I think what I would like to say is many Christians have the idea that someone who is unchurched or who is an atheist or a skeptic or an agnostic are really just people who want to justify their immoral lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not always the case. That does happen. Yeah, definitely happens, and we we probably name names. But there are some people who legitimately are trying to seek truth, mm-hmm. and the world is not a simple place. Sometimes mm-hmm. it gets a little muddled, and people people have doubts or questions. I think if uh, w- one story that is very helpful to me in the New Testament is the story of Thomas, mm-hmm. someone who spent that much time with Jesus himself still just didn't understand and had the doubts. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Jesus did not do was mock him or put him down or insult him. What Jesus did was give him the evidence that he needed and and then comforted mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And those doubts <clears throat> are very painful, and usually all we do is just things like say, have faith or give pad answers to them, and that just drives people away. Yes, yes. I, I think um, substantial questions deserve mm-hmm. honest, substantial answers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that evangelism in our culture is is going to need to change a bit. Mm-hmm. I think in some places you can still sort of knock on the door, give the gospel brochure, and hope they might come to church. There's nothing wrong with inviting people to church, but of be course. prepared to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. Build a relationship, take time through mm-hmm. emails <laughs> yeah. or phone calls or over coffee, yeah, and and talk with people. Mm-hmm. Well, I prefer and doing it over that, tea. I prefer doing it over tea because coffee's pagan. <laughs> coffee's pagan. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this friendship might not work out. <laughs> you know, it was, it was it was Tim McGrew who told me that coffee was created by the devil to lead people away from tea. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Go on with what you were saying. Well, again, I think it's it's going to come come to the place in our culture, and it has come to the place where we just have to take time, turn off the TV, <clears throat> cancel some activities, and build relationships with people and talk to them. 
mm-hmm. whether it's through email or over to your coffee. But mm-hmm. prior to that, uh, if you haven't been through the ideas and issues yourself, it would be very difficult to help someone else. Oh, yeah. So it's time for Christians, serious-minded Christians, uh, to really step back and re-examine Christianity, I think, yeah. and be able to communicate that clearly to someone else. And, you know, Roger, when I say this, I'm, I'm trying to just show where I think you were at the time. I'm not saying this to be insulting, but what happened, or could have happened in your case, was you were a Christian who wasn't thinking about your position, and then you were accepting an atheism that wasn't thinking about its position either. Oh, that's, a, that's exactly right. right. Uh, my position mm-hmm. was unquestioned because I thought it was based on the Bible, and the mm-hmm. Bible was unquestionable. And if you never question it, then then you're fine. But once you step back and question it, then it it just shatters around you. And that's exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I had I had no. You, you know what's funny is is Richard Dawkins in his book um, The God Delusion goes through the some of the arguments for God's existence, and in his mind he destroys them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But some of those arguments for God's existence, the first time I even heard about them, were in Richard Dawkins' book. Yeah. So I had no idea about these these reasons to believe. Uh, in God outside of the Bible, I, mm-hmm. I just didn't know. Yeah, and so I, I really just had a, a just just no leg to stand on. Yeah, and it looks like too many people in our in our culture they they really just do this unthinking thing and they just believe one position blindly. They go from believing Christianity blindly to believing yeah. atheism blindly, and their mindset is on. exactly the same. Exactly they the just same. Switch their loyalties. That's that's exactly right, and and it's very simplistic, mm-hmm. and it's very, if I can say this respectfully, it's very unloving. Right. It's 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 arrogant, and it's it can be hateful. Yeah. It's sort of I'm right, I'm smarter than you, or I'm I'm in the cool kids club, or or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm in the right position here. Don't don't question it, and we we preach it loudly and with fervor, and when we're questioned, we we tend to maybe mock the other the other person. Mm-hmm. But then so many people in our generation, as we said, some 60% are switching sides. Right. Then what are they doing when they come out of ultra-conservative Christianity or fundamentalism? What are so many people doing when they, when they, when they come out of that? They're turning that mindset against where they came from. Mm-hmm. They still have that sort mm-hmm. of, I'm right, I'm in the cool kids club, I'm in the smart kids club. Very simplistic, unquestioning loyalty to just a different, a different sheep herder. Yeah, we see what's going on in our colleges where we're supposed to have diversity celebrated unless it's anything that has to do whatsoever with Christianity and then all of a sudden that diversity isn't really appreciated anymore. People who talk most about being open-minded don't really care about being open-minded. That's very true. It's it's a atheist fundamentalism where they have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of <laughs> don't question it. Anyone who disagrees is just simply too stupid to get on our level. Or you're a brainwashed what? moron or something like that. Right. Why be open-minded to, to nonsense unless mm-hmm. they view Christianity? Yeah. Now, how, are, how are things going with Jenny now since you've come and you've reached a safe spot, as it were? Well, we, we've always been in love. I can say that. Um, mm-hmm. She's always she's always supported me. And uh, I guess everyone says this, but I really do think I have the best wife in the world. I couldn't imagine being with anyone else. She's always loved me, always supported me. But it, there were tough times, very dark times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, if, if you go from preaching 
the gospel of Jesus with with passion and making that your life. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you might think that life itself might be absurd. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. And maybe my message is a lie. Yeah. And you have no leg to stand on. That doesn't just affect you. It affects the person ministering with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my wife and I had to have some serious conversations. And we decided we'd always stay together. We'd always love each other and support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our goals in life, um, ha- potentially, were going to change drastically. Mm-hmm. Um so, so it was tough. Mm-hmm. It, just, it was just tough. Now, um, we've come to the point now where we're going to re-enter the ministry. Um, I've been accepted, thankfully, into Houston Baptist University's Master of Arts in Apologetics mm-hmm. program. So now, now I'm actually studying apologetics at a, at a graduate level. Mm-hmm. When I get out of the Marine Corps, I plan to finish that degree. And so, so my wife is excited about that. We're going to re-enter ministry. And, and I, if I can say this, I think that we have, um, our faith has been refreshed. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just, it's been renewed. Yeah. In, in fact, with what you were describing, do you think you could have related to someone like, say, Dan Barker, for instance? Could I have related to Dan Barker? Yeah. I know who he is, I don't know his story. Well, he grew up sort of a fundamentalist as where in a highly conservative environment oh geez maybe everything I believe is a lie and today he's one of the more rabid atheists who's reached the extreme even of Jesus mythicism which is kind of like the the high peak where you know you've you've reached the plateau of internet atheism when you become a mythicist right I wasn't aware he was a a prior fundamentalist but it makes sense yeah, uh, you, you might want to go for this book sometime on losing faith in faith or godless or something like that. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it it does affect what happens. That uh, I mean, I I think you could also definitely agree with me that when you are <coughs> in ministry, that I think our wives really have no idea how much of a support they are for us in ways they don't even realize. Right. That's exactly right. Um, beliefs affect actions. Uh-huh. So what you believe about God and the world will affect your actions. And I'm not I'm not saying that non-believers are immoral. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. Uh, but for example, it was definitely going to change my my choice of career. Uh-huh. But but either way, I, I can say this for purely existential reasons. Uh, knowing that my wife genuinely and truly loves me and I can say this about other people but especially with my wife yeah um, I knew that love was real mm-hmm. and that that stuck with me that was something for me to think about mm. well I'd like to say at this point and a bit early that you're listening right now up there to the Deeper Waters podcast here with Nick Peters your host my guest Roger Maxson and we're talking about the importance of apologetics and keep in mind that that's what we dispense here on the Deeper Waters podcast regularly is apologetics. I've been doing this for years. It's a passion of mine. And I'd really like your help in doing it because we're really more of a fledgling ministry. We've got some great endorsements. We're, I think we're going to be going places and things like that more and more in the future. But we'd like your help to get there and to keep things going. Now, if you go to my website at deeperwaters.ddns.net, 
you'll see a link there that says help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click a link and it takes you to Risen Jesus. Yeah. Have you gone to the right place? Yes, that's the ministry of my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And you make a donation there and then you contact me or Debbie and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they'll make sure we get it, and it will be tax deductible. I had someone do that just this week. They made a donation. They emailed me. I contacted Debbie immediately. Everything's taken care of there. And if you can be a monthly donor, that is even better. And we, we could definitely use your monthly donations because monthly donors are the rock that we can lean on the most. And <clears throat> what you give is tax deductible. And we try to put the best use that we can, especially with my working on my own masters right now. It costs a lot of money. And what you give can really help with that. You can also support us through Amazon by buying books that we talk about on the show, as well as buying some ebooks that I've written or co-written, such as A Creed for the Ages, My Look at the Apostles' Creed. You can buy Defining Inerrancy. You can buy God and Natural Disasters. You can buy Groundless. There are so many books out there that you can get. And there's a link on our website where you can support us by buying jewelry. And I know this is on Roger Rigumi. The ladies seem to like jewelry for some <laughs> strange reason. So guys, if, if you're wanting to do something very special for the women in your life, go there, buy jewelry, use code word love, and contact me or Lena Cluster, who's our jewelry saleswoman, and say, hey, I made the purchase, and I made it through Deeper Waters. Whatever you purchase, Lena will make sure we get 25% of that purchase. So if you go and buy an item for your wife, let's say like 100 bucks or so, we're going to get 25 bucks. So as you bought something for your wife that you were going to buy for her anyway, and you got support and ministry at the same time. You, you won on both fronts, okay? So please <laughs> consider these ways of donating. Now, Roger, do you have a, any cause or organization that you'd like to encourage people to donate to? Actually, Nick, I was going to bring up uh, Tectonics and TheRisenJesus.com as well. Uh -huh. um, I can say this personally all the time that you've spent all the years that you spent studying and pouring through books and mm. talking to people. Um, did, I, I wasn't the outcome of that directly, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that I'm very grateful for what I gleaned from it. Mm -hmm. But all those things take take time. They yeah. just take a lot of work. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a very, very worthy cause to give to. Mm -hmm. And I can say I, I am truly grateful for your influence in my life and mm -hmm. to have you as a friend. Mm -hmm. So if for people to give actually to your ministry, and I think you said through the theRidgeandJesus.com, yeah. uh, I can say that's a very worthy cause, and uh, that's what I would suggest. Yeah, And Tectonics was extremely helpful for you as well, wasn't it? Uh, Tectonics does offer some good resources if, you, if you'd like uh, to look into textual issues or mm -hmm. maybe the, uh, the idea that Jesus didn't exist or something like that. Tectonics... Mm -hmm offer some resources to give you some a, a better historical perspective on that thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's definitely a good website to check out. Yeah. Now, Roger, I just keep telling you over and over, I am just really amazed at the change that I see in you. Because you went from someone who saw me at Walmart for 
Boy, boy, he's got this really bizarre, dumb interest there. There it makes no sense. Why does he pay so much attention to it? And now it's a passion of yours as well. That's exactly right. Well, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. At first, I think I thought it was a waste of time. What we yeah. need to do is just uh, run more buses, build bigger buildings, get more people in our church building. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said before, apologetics is no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. Yeah. Um, young time. people growing up are exposed to so much on the Internet and mm-hmm. in the public high schools, on the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, this marketplace of ideas, Christianity just can't pack up its bags and go home. Right. It has to make sure that it can explain itself clearly and in a loving way. That's something that you do, and uh, I can tell you that it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, since, in in a very real way, uh, I think I can say it helped to salvage my faith. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, now I'm definitely passionate about it. So when I, when I go back into ministry, mm-hmm. uh, the Lord willing, I'll focus on, on apologetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you're raising your children now for some practical Example yes. of this. How are you handling this? Because I mean, you can't go to your little Chloe, who's seven years old, I think you said now, right? Or, yes. And you can't go to her and say, "Well, honey, let's talk about the five ways of Thomas Aquinas." But you have to start somewhere. How, how are you handling this? Right. Well, you have to begin where they are, and I think it depends on the child's intellectual level, just like in any other subject, uh, right. any academic subject. Some kids will be take things a little easier than others. Um, for mine. Um, we'll actually watch um, programs. We'll, we'll watch uh, little things like Reading Rainbow or even um, maybe N.T. Wright, just, just a broad spectrum of things. Mm-hmm. He has videos on, on, on maybe the historical background of, of Jesus. Yep. And we'll just we'll watch those things and we'll talk about it in ways that she's unable to understand. And I'll, I'll push her just a little bit. Right. And so when we read, uh, we'll read the scripture together. When we read the word of Jesus, I'll... I'll deliberately pressure her just a little bit to think outside the box and sort mm-hmm. of think for herself. Right. So I think being able to think for herself about these things is is very important. Mm-hmm. Not just to be a robot who repeats um, right. sort of a brainwashed fool, but what do you think about it? What was Jesus actually saying there? What does it mean? How does that okay. apply to you now? Yeah. Um, there are good resources out there for children. Um, uh, I think you mentioned William Lane Craig. He actually writes books for children. Mm-hmm. And so we've ordered some of those, so we read them together as a family, and we talk mm-hmm. about them. Yeah. As long as my daughter is learning and hungry for knowledge, and she's thinking, not mm-hmm. just memorizing, um, I think she'll be okay. And I, I like something that I see on your Facebook going on, <clears throat> that you'll watch a movie like, say, Pocahontas, or <clears throat> Beauty and the oh, Beast, yes. even, or something like that, and you'll just talk about what's going on in the movie. Right, and those those things are are real to my daughter. My son's a little young yet; he's he's three. Yeah. Uh, but for my daughter, sure. So we we watch Move On, and we talk about, you know, the different cultural ideas of Western individualism versus the Eastern ideas of honor, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of the way the movie portrays mm-hmm. China's ideas and all these things. But th- th- those are ways for my daughter to sort of connect with the real world. Yeah. Sure, it's a silly Disney movie, but the ideas presented there are are real. Yeah. So my daughter, I think, sees things not as abstract letters on a page, but as things that relate to the real world. And then also, it's important because you're not isolating your daughter either. You're not cutting her off from oh, the no. world. You're you're seeing what's important. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to take her to go see like an R-rated movie or anything right off. Yeah. But 
but you're not saying like no we we don't talk about that we don't we don't do that we don't go there I mean you're saying yeah this is what the world's like <clears throat> right no I don't think that's what Christianity is Christianity isn't yeah. let's build a box mm. for ourselves and hide in it until Jesus comes right uh, yeah. Christianity is taking the teachings of Jesus understanding them and applying to our lives and then reaching out to help others yeah. and if in this world you you just can't hide from the other world views of the other actions out there yeah, so I'd I, rather that my children understand what we believe and why, mm-hmm. go a little bit deeper than I did at first, and then be able to understand other people's worldviews and, and reach out to them. You know, I can't help but remember that I was in a small group one time and I saw a lady make this comment there. Saying, you know, right now, I'm saved. My children are saved. It's a real case. We're just going to wait for Jesus to come. And I was just right. so flabbergasted over there. Well, mm-hmm. first off, your children might not be okay much longer depending on their college level or what's coming up ahead. And second, you right. know there are other people in this world who have children. What are you doing about them? That's right, and I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just teaching our, our kids John 3.16 and Jonah got swallowed by a mm-hmm. whale is not enough. Yeah, it's, it's just not enough. Teaching them to go to church on Sunday mornings and know the Bible stories, that's just a place to start. We... It's like when when I said I, I start with where my daughter is, I can't teach her Algebra 2 now. I, I start with mm-hmm. where she is and bring her along. Well, you don't leave her in kindergarten her whole life. You don't yeah. <laughs> you don't leave her in kindergarten for 20 years. You keep mm-hmm. bringing her along. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing in our faith as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start with those simple things, and then you bring them along. And certainly there are people in the world, real people, struggling with real questions. And how dare we not try to help them? Right. Now... What I talked about earlier also on the show was about how, like, when we're dating, like, a few verses from Paul generally would not be sufficient to stop those temptations from taking over. And so now I'm thinking when your daughter Chloe gets older and she starts dating, I mean, other than being out on the front porch with a shotgun for anyone who comes that, by. That will happen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're going to be able to teach... Chloe, a whole world view on this is what you do, this is what you don't do, and this is why, right? Yes, I think so, and I, I think I'll say it this way: I think for a while I had the idea that Christianity again was a list of do's and don'ts. Right. Thankfully, I'm saved by the grace of God, but really, practically speaking, I have to do this, 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 and I don't mm-hmm. do this, this, and this. Right. And a lot of that list is actually sort of a cultural thing that we've built up. Mm-hmm. And with the rest of my faith, when you question the list, the list yeah. sort of falls apart. Mm-hmm. Now, thankfully, I, I, I didn't get involved in a lot of immorality. And again, I'm not a perfect person. I have my own moral failures. Um, but I didn't understand the purpose of a lot of these do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. But I think if we step back and we understand the grand narrative of Scripture, mm-hmm. um, what it is that human beings are, created in the image of God, free, moral, rational creatures... And, and the, the fact that the world is a good and beautiful place that fell into sin and what Jesus taught us uh, to get us back on track to redeem us from sin. And we understand our own nature mm-hmm. based on the broader narrative of Scripture. Then all those other things, I think, sort of fall into place. Yeah. Uh, human sexuality, uh, morality, and a lot of those things are sort of secondary to what it is that we are. But if we don't know that what we are from Scripture we might get a little confused about the list. Even about a year or two or so ago, Bill Wiley was apparently saying on 
Fox News talking about the uh, debate on homosexuality and saying, yeah, well, all, all one side has is the Bible and the other side has far different evidence right there. <clears throat> and, you know, someone like me who says, I'm sorry, but I never go out there and I and use the Bible in this debate in that way. Unless I'm talking with other Christians, I stay away from the Bible for the most part because it's not any censure to having this. But unfortunately, Bill O'Reilly's description doesn't match many of the Christians, and that's one reason we're losing the culture wars. Well, that's exactly right. And I've, I've seen people on CNN, uh, both hosts and guests, uh, quote, Leviticus 18.22 or maybe some verse in Exodus and say, well, yeah. you don't keep uh, the shellfish laws and the laws about having more than one material in your clothing. Yeah. Why do you expect me to keep the, the sex laws? Mm-hmm. Those, 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 and, and, but unfortunately, Christians will just quote the verses louder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, those things are symptoms of an underlying issue, and that's, that is that we just don't understand Scripture. We don't understand the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of trace those things through culture and see how they've developed. Now, what, I, what I would suggest to anyone listening, and I'm doing this myself, that the scriptures are very important. Oh, yeah. Um, but the way sola scriptura has developed in our culture today has mm-hmm. almost erased or dissolved the rich intellectual history that Christianity has enjoyed for centuries. Mm-hmm. If we think that we just need the Bible and we don't remember how we got it, for example, right. uh, we don't remember the thinkers and what they said about it, not everyone thought about the Bible just the way that we do today. Mm-hmm. So it's time mm-hmm. to sort of step back a little bit and see what other Christians have said and understand and, and enjoy that sort of broad framework that Christianity offers us to understand the world. And if you do that, we don't really just have to quote one verse that someone doesn't believe to them over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And it, it's definitely going to help you in your evangelism because if you go out there and you're evangelizing to someone and they give you something like, well, how do you know the Bible is the Word of God? And you have no idea what to say. Well, not only right. have you shamed yourself, they've got forever seen in this mindset of, yep, just like I thought, Christians are idiots. <clears throat> right, you haven't done Christianity any favors. No. I I remember I was out riding once with my dad here, and we w- went out to do something together, and we came back there with some sort of Godstock, a takeoff from Woodstock, a concert going on of sorts at a little baseball field here, and I just went, went there to, just to see what was going on, I ended up talking with a pastor, and, and I, I started talking to him, and I mean, honestly, as redneck as can be. Okay, he goes, we're here myself, <laughs> definitely. And said, said, yeah, um, what do you do about uh, reaching non-believers? Where we give them the word of God. You know, says, mm. uh, how do you know it's the word of God? Where it comes from God and God doesn't lie and our God's a true God. Says, where Muslims I meet say the same thing. That's exactly says, right. We serve a living God and they serve a dead one. They'd say the same thing about you. Where we're right and they're wrong. At that point, I saw my dad coming over nearby. I said, Hey, your dad, let's uh, get going home, okay? There's a biblical injunction about the blind leading the blind right now. <laughs> I, I, I was. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I think, uh, thankfully, 
anyone who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm thankful for them. I really am. Um, but maybe we've gotten some things wrong when we present we present the gospel just that way. Yeah. You know, we just we just know it's true. The the Muslims are wrong. End of story. Well, it's not the end of story for a Muslim. Uh, we we just know that we're right and the atheists are wrong. End of story. Well, it's not the end of story for an atheist. We have to be able to reach out and communicate with these folks. Mm-hmm. And if you start with the fact that you're right, then no one has any reason to believe you if they don't already believe you. Yeah. And it, it's tragic. It, it's pushing people away. And I, I've met, I've I've met many uh, atheists, both who have come to Christ and those who are still in the world that are turned away from Christianity or have been turned away from Christianity. From the mindset that you've described. Yeah. I posted something on Facebook once. I said, if I meet someone who cannot be wrong in anything they think, I wonder why I should think they are right in anything that they think. Sure. And we've reached an age, again, like I said, where it's my thing that if anybody is going to go and be a pastor and assume a pastorate, they need to have some training in apologetics. It is absolutely sure. essential because if someone gets up there and they don't know what they're talking about and they fall away, their church is liable to fall away with them. Mm, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a, a good place to begin, obviously, study the scriptures, study yeah. Christian history. Mm-hmm. Um, but the history of ideas, um, understand how these ideas developed. I mean, our, our culture didn't pop out of nothing. <laughs> right. How did these cultural rifts come to be? Uh, those are things that in our colleges, even Bible colleges, I, I think it's time to really start examining. Mm-hmm. Now, why do we think the way that we do in American Christianity versus English Christianity? Right. Or, dare I say it, Indonesian or Chinese Christianity, where these ideas are much more Eastern. There are major cultural differences that oh, we yeah. are oblivious to. Yeah. Now, Roger, since you're changed, and of course, naturally, you're coming. I mean, investing your home in the Christian worldview and faith. What do you see yourself doing now? What do you think the future holds? What projects are you working on? Well, I'm in prayer about that uh, now, um, praying often about it. Um, I have some options. Um, no, no matter what exact path I choose, the primary goals are to be a good husband and father. Mm-hmm. Um to be responsible and loving and, and home with my family and, and not lose them because I'm so busy. Oh, yes. Um, beyond that, um, community service. I think I think feeding the poor, mm-hmm. um, helping people who are really down and out is something that in my previous ministry experience I neglected. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of this cultural box that's set for myself. Sometimes I fail to get out there and, and just help and love people. Yeah. So I want to focus on that. And, and above that, really helping up people understand that Christianity might make a little sense after all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was had the opportunity to teach an apologetics class to a group of teenagers uh, at a local church. And I had one of the teenagers who'd been in that class for some time say, is there really any evidence for any of this? Why do we do this anyway? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, mm-hmm. hopefully many more people than you and I, will take the time to reach out to them and explain mm-hmm. to, a, yeah. to them why this makes sense. So that's what I want to spend my life doing. Yeah, I, I especially liked what she said at the beginning about being a good husband and being a good father. Because I, mean, I can't say anything on the father front yet because I and I don't have any children yet. But I've told people several times that if you're in ministry, if you go out and be the best apologist, you be the next 
William Lane Craig or Mike Lacona or anything of that. You write all the books. You have the atheists terrified of you. But at the end of the day, <laughs> your your wife doesn't think you're a loving husband or you haven't been good, a good spouse. You haven't been a good parent. At the end of the day, I count you a failure in ministry. Right. Maybe your apologetics should start with our own family. Mm-hmm. Right. If If my children grow up not understanding what Christianity is and, and why it makes sense, then shame on me. Yeah, or even worse, if your children grow up and they're not sure you really care about them, shame on you. Sure, that's very true. And I've noticed that you're also doing reading right now on the history of America, it looks like, and the role Christianity plays with America. Yes. Well, I think uh, as an American and a Christian, those are two things that are very important to me, is mm-hmm. American patriotism and, I, and the Christian faith. And I, I think, unfortunately, those two things are becoming more and more misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think, if I can say this without being stoned, I think Americans are forgetting what America is and was. Not going to get stoned here. All right, I think that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Christians have, have largely forgotten what Christianity has historically been. Uh, so those things are things I'm investigating and, and hoping to be able to to have conversations with folks about, yes. And I, I know how serious you take this, because you did put up something recently about how you and your wife are out fixing burgers or something, and she asked, what cheese do you want, American or Swiss? And I thought she knew me better than that. That's not even a question. <laughs> <laughs> I did join the Marine Corps, right? <laughs> and, right, well, I think um, the, the, <clears throat> our country being somewhat a product of the Enlightenment, Mm-hmm. sort of a Christian morality and, and morals mixed with enlightenment thinking and, and natural law. I think it's time for folks, just as it, it's time to investigate Christianity, it's time to re-evaluate the foundations of our own country, the American experiment. Yeah. It's time to read up on John Locke and uh, Jean Rousseau, Thomas Jefferson, and those guys. Yeah. Any, anyone who cares about this country should read Thomas Jefferson and John Locke mm-hmm. and, and the Constitution. Yeah. You know, I... I was just talking with a friend of mine yesterday, my former roommate, in fact, about how Christians in China and all these other places in Africa, they're probably embarrassed about us because they're over there living in abject suffering and persecution and they're thriving. Hmm. Here, we've got so much going so good right now and we've got more access to more resources than any of them have and we're sitting on our butts doing nothing. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. The internet gives us a resource, resources that we've we've never had. I can't even still fathom yep. the amount of the history of the world's literature that I have, often for free at my fingertips. And mm-hmm. so many of us are are busy with recreation. <laughs> yeah, there there's a joke that said if someone came here from the 1950s, what would be the most amazing thing you could tell them that they wouldn't comprehend, and it would be. I have with me in my pocket a device by which I can access all knowledge known to man. I use it mm. to argue with strangers and look at pictures of cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, there's nothing wrong with fun, but it yeah. is good to turn the TV off, turn the Xbox off from time to time, and, and yeah. pick up a book. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, and it, it, it's not going to destroy your world. What what I say the great value of reading in many ways is... is you start having conversations in your head with people other than yourself. You have more than your own thoughts 
repeating to you over and over. If I'm wanting to know an opinion about something, I say, hmm, what does N.T. Wright say about it? What does C.S. Lewis say about it? What does G.K. Chesterton say about it? What did Aquinas say about it? What does Paul say about <coughs> that over and over? You know, along those lines, it's amazing to me that we have some of the greatest minds the world has ever known mm-hmm. speaking to us across time through their writings. Right. We have Plato and Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas and the people alive today, N.T. Wright, mm-hmm. for example, and we're too busy to sit down and listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's it's kind of tragic, actually. What, what a shallow life we we could potentially lead. What a shallow life we do lead. We're we're an extremely shallow culture right now. And what I talk about with the culture wars going on is my wife and I, for instance, took part in Chick fil A Day. And what I said is, see, we had all these Christians and not other people. It wasn't just Christians, I'm sure. We had so many people going out to Chick-fil-A because, by God, we were going to stand up. We weren't going to let Chick-fil-A be boring. We went out and, you know, Chick-fil-A had higher sales than ever before that day. There were news coverage, everything. So Christians went out this great show. They had great momentum at that point. And we took that great momentum and we went and did absolutely nothing with it. We sat down and that was the end of that. And then mm. Duck Dynasty got taken off the air and oh, Christians were indignant. They contacted the A&E. They contacted their, their cable company. They started pulling the plugs. Cracker Barrel joined in. And, oh, Cracker Barrel had to relent too quickly because the Christians were complaining and we fought and we fought and Duck Dynasty came back on the air and after this great victory we had the Christians Mm. went out and did absolutely nothing whatsoever with it Mm. well it seems maybe we have our priorities in the wrong place yeah we are willing to fight for chicken sandwiches and our favorite TV shows but we're not willing to fight for marriage itself hmm and as I said, I was talking with my friend yesterday about this whole Kim Davis situation going on. And I said, yeah, we could do something if, you know, if a church would get off its butt and do something. I said, I know, I know. Pipe dream. Please stop laughing at this point. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, I think one place we can start mm-hmm. is by explaining the Christian view of marriage to begin with. Right. And as you said, a few verses in Paul really aren't enough. Mm-hmm. Um in in the United States, we have religious liberty, mm-hmm. and perhaps people should have rights and liberty to to worship and according to their own conscience. Mm-hmm. However, as Christians, we should and must use our liberty mm-hmm. to explain Christian morality and the foundations for it, not just mm-hmm. to quote verses or to, to to show people aren't keeping the list as well as we are, mm-hmm. but uh, to in love explain why we do these things to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that also we have to. The first place it should take place really is in our homes, but unfortunately the people are uneducated too often. They're not going to do that. So the next place has to be the church. And unfortunately the church is not producing that education. I think uh, Michael Bird said that Nicholas Perrin described church today now more as nothing more than a gathering of Jesus' Facebook friends. Hmm. Wow, interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when we go, we go to church, all we pretty much do is get emotional high 
most of the time. Right. And that's it, and it's mm-hmm. not going to sustain us. I, I've i made a remark before I heard from someone else, I remember who, but that if we were really being accurate with the way we go to church, we wouldn't go and dress putting on our Sunday best and such. No, no problem with that if that's what you want to do and such. We would come wearing combat gear and wearing the helmets <laughs> and such and oh, with our like weapons it. because we are preparing for war at church. <laughs> oh, I like it. That's good. Mm-hmm. I might do that next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a good conversation starter. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Now, when you go back <laughs> into ministry eventually, how is your ministry going to be different now that you found out about apologetics so much? Well, I'll still preach the same gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll still have the same Bible, preaching the same gospel, worshiping the same God. I think I realize now that God is a little bit bigger than I took him to be mm-hmm. uh, in, in previous years. And I, knew, I do realize that uh, Christianity really provides a rich intellectual framework for understanding the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think you said, uh, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Mm-hmm. And sort of taking this 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 really this wealth of a, a rich way of looking at the world, this comprehensive framework, if you will, for understanding things, mm. and expressing that to people, rather than just quoting verses. And I'm, I'm not knocking the Bible; scriptures are tremendously important. Yeah. Um, but the world is a, a, a complicated place, and uh, mm. people need complicated sometimes answers and, mm. and uh, real meaningful conversations. Those are things I would like to encourage people to do, and I'd like to take part in myself. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people out there right now who are skeptical, like you were, and are searching for truth, or maybe even people who are hostile to Christianity? Right, yes. Well, as I said before, I would politely suggest um, sometimes we need to lay down our weapons and have an open mind to, to really actually do what we say we want to do, and that is follow the evidence through to conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would recommend if you if you're reading the New Atheist if you're watching say the Amazing Atheist on on YouTube um, read read someone who studies Thomas Aquinas for a living for for decades with a PhD mm-hmm. what does he say about Thomas Aquinas rather than someone who read him and made a five minute YouTube video mm-hmm. um, put a little bit more thought into it things aren't always as simple as as we as we say if you read Lawrence Krauss. Mm-hmm. And he says in his book, um, A Universe from Nothing. Well, that, that's wonderful. Read read that book, but then read the alternative points of view as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, be be open to it. Yeah. I, I think I think if you'll you'll find, as I did, that the Christian worldview actually makes much more sense than you might take it to mean. There are a lot of parents out there also who have children who've come home from college and they've announced suddenly that they're atheists and they grew up Christian and these parents have no idea what to do. And what kind of things would you say to a parent like this who's wrestling with her child abandoning the faith? Sure. Well, I think one thing you don't want to do is, is come down hard on them and say, well, you know better. Um, now you're just trying to justify your immoral lifestyle. That That might be the case. There are people like that. It might be the case that they've really had their faith shattered and they think they, they've seen Christians who have lived in this cultural box and sat in a church pew every Sunday but cared little about social injustice or feeding the poor mm-hmm. and, and, and real-world issues. Many of us as Christians neglect those things, and people mm-hmm. see that now. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they might see atheists who are promoting 
humanitarian uh, ministries, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they want to jump on board with doing something they think is valuable. Mm-hmm. So understand that they might not really be just rebelling against God. They they might actually be a little confused. Um, there are resources out there. Um, a book to get started with. I like uh, Craig Blomberg's book, Can We Still Believe the Bible? Oh, yeah. That's a good place to start. Um, mm-hmm. Check out uh, ReasonableFaith.org. Um, check out Mike Lacona. Um, st- start with these basic works, but always be willing to go deeper if you need to. If, if the simplified answer doesn't satisfy you, uh, be willing to read a little bit deeper. And I'll, I will say one guy who's really helped me, he's a hero of mine now, is a man named Alistair McGrath. Mm-hmm. If you've uh, if you've read Richard Dawkins, or if your if your child is in college and they've read Richard Dawkins and these guys, read Alistair McGrath. He wrote a book called The Dawkins Delusion: oh, Atheist yeah. Fundamentalism and the Denial of the Divine. Mm-hmm. And it's very simple. It's um, let's see, I've got it right here. It's well, it's just a little over a hundred pages. You can read that in one night if you wanted to. Yeah, and Michael Ruse, bef- Michael Ruse, an mm-hmm. atheist philosopher, even said the Dawkins Delusion. But the God delusion made me embarrassed to be an atheist, and McGrath show why. That's exactly right. And and Alistair McGrath is very good at, in a very calm, loving, kind way, explaining mm-hmm. things. He writes on the popular level, and he writes at the academic level. If you don't have much time, pick up the, the Dawkins delusion. He was a former atheist himself, yeah. uh, who became a Christian, now he's a theologian. He also wrote Intellectuals Don't Need God and Other Modern Myths. Mm-hmm. That's a great book. And he sort of takes objections from from Dawkins and Hitchens and discusses them in a a, a more dare I say intelligent way. Yeah. And we haven't had McGrath on the show yet, but we have had Craig Blomberg on. In fact, he's been on twice. And oh, we good. Did, we did interview him on his book "Can We Still Believe the Bible?" back on April 26th of last year. And Mike Lacona, who you mentioned, he's been on three times naturally. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of the yearly guest that we have, and we can expect he'll be on next year to talk about his uh, his new book coming out on Plutarch. But one thing oh, we could, wow, okay. one thing we could say is also that um, if your child's going off to college, I mean, you can't stop if they've already ostracized. But those who haven't got there yet, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Sure, love on them, be patient with them. And uh, offer them resources. Yeah. Equip your children beforehand. It's easier for them to handle the problem when they get to it if they already know it's coming and they know what to say. And when, Roger, when you emailed me, I I knew what to say already because I'd been studying it for years. I just knew I had to walk through you with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it changed my life, and that that's something that I now realize the importance of. Mm-hmm. And I've I've been able to, to to talk with and help many people since since in the short time uh, since you've helped me. Yeah. But again, it does take a lot of work. Yeah, and I, I have to say, regularly when I see you on Facebook, I'm very proud of how far you've come, and so much of what you post on there is so good, and I'm so thrilled to get to see it. Well, Nick, you've been a, you've been a, a tremendous friend, and I mean that, and I thank God for you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm excited to see what God does with you and your wife. Yeah, someday, you and I and Jeannie and Allie, we're all going to have to get together someday. I hope we can. We need to make that happen. Yeah, we do. We should start planning on that. But I'll uh, warm up my GameCube controller. 
<laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to have to set up a Smash Brothers thing when we get together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little rusty. I'm going to have to warm up. <laughs> well, well, Roger, we've unfortunately reached a point where we do have to start bringing things to a close here. Do you have a uh, blog or website and email somewhere that people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you, your story, or anything whatsoever for some bizarre reason they want to talk to you? Sure. Uh, my email is rcmaxonapologia at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy thing to spell, but it's r-c-m-a-x-s-o-n-a-p-o-l-o-g-i-a at gmail.com. Um, I'm actually working on blog posts now. I have not started a blog, but I've written several blog posts, and I hope to start one soon. Mm-hmm. More on that later. <laughs> yeah, do you have any idea what, what that blog would be? I don't have a name for it, no, but it'll be an apologetics lifestyle blog. Meaning what exactly? Well, I think um, to get away from the academic side of it and to bring it down to the everyday level, apologetics uh, in our lives, uh, sort of a, have you heard of the art of manliness? A little bit. Oh, check it out. It's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, not that I agree with everything that he says, but he encourages people to, to read maybe the great books of Western civilization, talks about just basic things in everyday life that people need to know how to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something similar to that, hopefully, from an apologetics perspective. Okay. Now, Roger, is there any final message you'd like to leave today for a deeper water's audience? Sure. I, I would encourage people who are either doubting Christianity or who aren't Christians, um, again, to, to take time to step back from the Internet memes and the YouTube videos that are five minutes long. The good thing about the Internet is everyone has a voice. The bad thing about the Internet is everyone has a voice and you don't know if they know what they're talking about or not. Mm-hmm. Um, take a step back from that and read read some experts on it. Mm-hmm. And understand that Christianity today that's been tied to so many things, not that they're necessarily bad, may not be the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. Understand Christianity for what it originally was and the ideas that it portrays. Mm-hmm. But that takes time. And yeah. I, I'd highly recommend stepping back and taking time to do that. Well, Roger, it's been a very fascinating interview, and I hope many of the things said today hit home to a lot of listeners just stressing the importance of apologetics from your personal perspective, and I really hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Nick, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'd like to remind everyone that next week, Michael Sherrard is going to be my guest, talking about his book, Relational Apologetics. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I am signing off. <laughs> <laughs>